Hello, welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 286 for February 4th, 2020. Today's guest is musician, performer, and friend, Raquel Sion. We'll be talking about her show, Me and Mr. Jones, My Intimate Relationship with David Bowie. We're going deep. We're talking about her show, its evolution after David Bowie's passing, its evolution after her cancer diagnosis. There's a lot happening in this conversation. You're going to want to hear it. By the way, I'm your host, Michael Heron. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 14 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron or email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. This is the part of the show where I like to say, hey, what's up? And give you some little check-ins about what's going on in my world. Um, I'm rolling, rolling into some motivation with creativity. It's been a challenge lately, um, but it's happening. So yay for that. I just felt like dropping a little check in there. I want to let you know that I'm presenting my books and zines at a book and zine fair. It's like, uh, it's an interesting thing. It's the Brooklyn ABZ fair, which is actually going to be in Manhattan at the Greenwich Village Antiquarian Book Fair in uh, a few weeks, February 21st through 23rd. It's... I. I'm still a little bit confused about what's happening. I know it's all, uh, I'll, I'll put links to all of this stuff and how to get tickets. Uh, it looks really great. This is the 41st anniversary of the book fair. So I, I'm excited and a little bit nervous because I've always seen these zines that I do and my books. I have two books, by the way, of Tentative Arbor and The Animal Book and uh, five zines now. Um, I've always thought of this as sort of like an offshoot of my music and theater work that I create, which still kind of blows my mind that I'm even doing that. I'm having a touch of imposter syndrome about showing up at a book event like, oh, yeah, I'm a writer and I make books and zines. But that's true. That's the truth. So I'm pretty excited about doing this. If you're in New York City, I hope you can come by. I'll be there pretty much for the whole thing. Uh, there's one chunk of time on Saturday that I won't be there. Um, so I'd love for you to come by. And if you're a patron, uh, be sure to check out Patreon because I have a post in there for patrons um, about getting some free passes to the show. Speaking of Patreon, I do want to give a shout out to my subscribers on Patreon. There are, uh, I'd say, around 110 of you um, who subscribe to this podcast. You get bonus episodes. You get copies of the zines I mentioned before. Um, this work and all the other work that I do and that I provide for free, like this podcast, it actually costs me money to do. I have to pay for hosting. I have to pay to keep up my website. Um, I have to keep uh, equipment in check. Um, it takes time. All those kind of things. So. Having people subscribe on Patreon makes it feel like, hey, <laughs> there's a reason I'm doing this. People want me to do it. So uh, those of you that are there, thank you for that energy. If you're not someone who can subscribe on Patreon, by all means, please continue listening to the podcast. Please continue streaming my music or watching my videos on YouTube. All of those things that I just put up on the internet. I am so happy to do it. I did it before Patreon existed, and I will do it for a long time because I really enjoy making a thing and pushing publish and just putting it on the internet. So um, yay, yay patrons, yay 
not patrons. If you do want to learn more about Patreon, there's a lot of bonus stuff there, um, like nearly 40 bonus podcasts now. And there will be another podcast this week with uh, Raquel Cyan. She did a special bonus interview with me. Um, yeah, check it out. Patreon.com slash Michael Heron. I think that's everything to do check-in wise. I have a song to play for you. Um, you know, this is one thing that um, that I'm thinking about sort of shifting on the podcast. If in the event, I, I almost always play two songs on the show, one before the interview, one after. I'm starting to think about phasing that out and maybe being a little, if it's a musician, I'll obviously p- play their music. But sometimes, I don't know if I want to like dig up songs, except for days like today when my friend Brett Gleason, who uh, is a collaborator, he performed with me at one of my Judson shows, um, and he's been on the podcast, and he's a great artist and a very prolific artist. Um, He's got a new single out that I want to play for you today. So today's the day that I will play music. What are your thoughts about doing interview shows? Like, let's say I'm interviewing um, someone who's not a musician. I can't think of it. A director. Um, And there's no music that's an obvious fit for that episode. What are your thoughts about no music? Like, Do you like when I play music? Um, I'm really curious about your take on that. Maybe one of these days I should just do a, uh, a questionnaire for everyone. I don't know. Anyway, let me know if you have strong thoughts about that either way. Um, today, I am going to play music before the interview. And this is the latest single from my pal, Brett Gleason. It's called Second Guess. And after this, we'll hear the interview with Raquel Sion. Throw yourself under the bus to procreate Don't pretend everybody else knows the way We are all just making this up day by day But you trust everyone but yourself Don't 
Joining me now on the podcast is creator of Me and Mr. Jones, my intimate relationship with David Bowie. It's Raquel Cyan, also my friend. Hi, Raquel. Hi, Michael. Yay! You're rejoining me on the podcast. You were on the podcast right in the beginning of the run, the very first run of Me and Mr. Jones, if I recall correctly. Right. I think it was in the spring of 2015. That sounds right. Where did, where did the time go? I can't believe it's 2020. I know. It's, it's bizarre, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. This month, well, not this month, February, it's going to be five years. Very magical Bowie number and title. Oh, um, yeah. I love that I, because of you, I get that. I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, the classic. There you Bowie go. Song. Tell us about what the show is. What is me and Mr. Jones, my intimate relationship with David Bowie. My intimate relationship with David Bowie. It is about my, it's about love. It's about fandom, but it also kind of transcends, hopefully, <laughs> and I believe it, it yeah. achieves this, transcends, transcends fandom. I mean, for years, friends had been saying to me, because I had been doing these alt cabarets and um, creating these shows and putting Bowie material and Bowie references in them, but um, not doing a full-on Bowie show and being part of other people's tributes to Bowie and things like that. And and uh, friends had been saying, "Where's your Bowie show? Where's your Bowie show?" And I and I was actually kind of and still am in ways kind of shy about it because of the, the depth of it uh, makes me feel a little crazy. Well, the depth and, of, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to like dig a little on that spot. Like the, right. depth, the depth of your fandom, my, quote unquote. I'm my love quotes. for him. Yeah. My love for him as an artist. I never tire of, listening or seeing or finding out facts or hearing stories or I just never tire of anything Bowie mm. ever. 
<laughs> and it's kind of shocking to me. So I did the show, the show I did, uh, one of the shows I did previous to this was called Gilding the Lonely that I did at Joe's Pub and at Dixon Place. And, um, and it was kind of a meditation on loneliness and looking at loneliness from different facets. And I wanted to do another investigation of an emotion or a state of being. And I thought, oh, I'll do love. Like I'll manifest that and bring a little more love into my existence. Cause you know, I know the loneliness and, um, yeah. And which never ever goes away. But, um, I, I was thinking, what do I love or who do I love? And it just came up as Bowie. I love Bowie. I love Bowie. So I, uh, I wrote my Bowie show and it, it really focuses. There are some definite geeking out, you know, this date, this date, he did this, he did that moments, but it's not, um, a Bowie biography, you know, it's, you can, you can go and read many wonderful books about Bowie or find amazing interviews with him. And I, I really had to connect it to me and how he shows up in my life. Um, so it, it focuses more on my story connected to his story, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And it <laughs> makes like, because I, just for the sake of um, uh, reference, mm-hmm. for people who are listening, I worked on this show. I helped in the very beginning phases of it. Exactly. I feel like working on the show with you and the show itself helped me sort of be, get okay with being a fan Mm-hmm. of someone you know like like I, I i'm thinking of your kind of i don't know you didn't use the word embarrassment but does that feel right the <laughs> embarrassment at being like as in love with him as you are i don't know if it's embarrassment i just feel like it's so and this is part of the intimacy right and bowie definitely as an artist really did this for many many people um which is why I think the show has grown so much and um, connects with so many people who are Bowie fans who and who aren't. There's something very, he really deals with um, a singular experience in ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes his, he's not prescriptive in this is how you should feel or this is the the way the world should be. It's actually oftentimes the opposite. It it's the shadow of things, or the darker side, or the dystopian side, or the alienated side. But there's also this space where you can bring yourself to that, whether it's lyrically or musically, and really find comfort within that space. So, what was the question? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the question, like, or I guess it wasn't a question. I was sort of like zeroing back in on, on what I got from your process oh, of making the show. I yeah. think it's, I think it's like revealing, you know, like revealing the the quirks or the 
particularities of any kind of relationship of a of a very close relationship um you know the weird things you sometimes do as a couple and i'm not talking you know it's not sexually or whatever but it's like <laughs> like my ex my ex husband and i used to have like little songs that we would sing or like little dances that we would do or you know just these weird or what what attracts what is that thing that attracts you um and how can you define it and is it possible to define it um so i i really investigate that and show some of the my own weird quirks within that your show made me feel like it was okay to be a fan of somebody you mm-hmm. like you you made the case i don't know if you're trying to make a case <laughs> in telling your story you demonstrated to me like oh this is why she loves david bowie like this is why this is why yeah. it is a relationship even though it's a different type of thing right it's not right you're not interacting with each other but you are like you're interacting right. through his music. There's this thing that our friend Mike Abusey at Jets Memorial Church, um, who's also a big Bowie fan. Yeah, and this thing that he says before these shows at Judson that I wish I could remember, and I've heard it a million times. That whole idea that we we at Judson believe that artists have the potential to show us who we are, where we've been, all this kind of stuff, and yeah, that's what like. All of those things connected to make me think, oh, wait a minute. It's okay that I'm a big fan of people mm-hmm. because they're doing that thing. These, they're artists that help me see who I am and help me see who I want to be. You know, like, and, Definitely. and as a result, it makes me also realize like, oh, that's a valid thing to want to do. It's okay for me to want to be an artist too. Right. <laughs> so I, I think like all of that, I got a lot of that from your show. Oh, that's beautiful. I and Bowie, Bowie also, in many, many interviews, um, talks about how he is a fan mm. of certain people or certain music or certain uh, certain things. And he yeah. was. I mean, he was... There were, there were artists that he was, throughout his life, extremely dedicated to. One of the things that's interesting about doing this podcast and being in therapy and being an artist and trying to like dive deeper into that mm-hmm. and talking to other artists is this like, oh, like a lot of things come clear when I'm having these conversations. <laughs> so like I've just been dealing a lot with like the the judgment about people who are fans that I had and I had of myself for being a fan of people. Oh, same. Yeah. Is like an, a, a manifestation of feeling like being an artist isn't a valid thing to do for myself as a goal. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I, yeah. I fully understand that. Whoa. This is like turning into our therapy session or my therapy session. Sorry. <laughs> and no, I'm in it too, baby. Yeah. We're, so, <laughs> well, wait, go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, there is a part, one of my favorite parts of the show, um, I mean, maybe in another lifetime I, I could achieve this, but I'm fascinated by neurology and um, kind of what 
you know, it's that nature nurture thing. It's like, mm-hmm. are we wired this way or, um, do we kind of embroider upon this thing, uh, that we are. And so I, I have this portion in the show and kind of, uh, ripples throughout the show, um, about, about the, the neurological, uh, effects of music on us mm. just because of, Repetition, because of which is also a Bowie song, um, <laughs> because of, um, you know, just the the sheer amount I have listened to him or studied him, I feel like there are new pathways, neurological pathways, or limbic. Uh, sparking points that uh, occur when I hear him or Mm. when I think of him. Like it's, yeah, I feel like it runs in me. I mean, part of me talks about the neurology of it, you know, that science behind love and behind music uh, to to make me feel like I'm not absolutely out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like, oh, this is how our minds work. Is it time to stop thinking that you might be out of your mind? Probably. <laughs> That's a, a thank you. This definitely is therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I say that because I'm the same way about a lot of things. Where I'm just like, oh, I'm just like that. I'm just that. Or, but right. you've written a show that like, like pretty lays it out pretty clearly. That you're not out of your mind. This is how his music and his person has affected you right <laughs> i like i i got to the point with it where i was like oh i get it but you're there's still part of you that's like ah am i crazy <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen the snake pit that movie no <gasps> oh my god it's so good it's uh olivia De, olivia de havilland and celeste holm and it's um it's made in the 50s and you know, it's at the beginnings of psychotherapy really taking root mm. in the States. And this woman gets committed. And, um, oh, my God. There's this one scene where she has this moment of, oh, I think I'm getting better. Oh, but does that mean I'm really crazy? If I think I'm well, does that mean I'm crazy? Or does, uh, if I'm well, you know, she goes back and forth in her mind about that. I did a show in San Francisco where I played her in her voice. We did scenes from that sh- the movie. Um, uh, well, okay. It's so very, I, <laughs> very worth seeing. There was someone that said something to me um, in a 12-step meeting um, where I was like, maybe I'm just in denial about something. And they were like, people who are in denial don't wonder if they're in denial. Yeah, that's that's real. Like you're either you might be still trying to get away with something, but you're not in denial at this point. Like, <laughs> yes, it's really interesting to think about that. But it's that thought about like maybe I maybe I just think I'm well, but I'm not because I'm crazy. Okay, then wait, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> my I'm, my my opinion as a lay person <laughs> is if you think you're if you are wondering if you're crazy, you're probably not. That's it. I've officially like diagnosed a lot of, Fantastic. A lot of problems. Yeah. 
Here's to sanity. <laughs> I love catching myself saying things that are like total nonsense and like, oh, I need to stop. No, I'll just go ahead and say it anyway. Anyway, back to your go show. Ahead. Okay. You've been doing it since before David Bowie passed. Yeah. And now you're doing it after. What what has changed? I mean, I'm sure you can't um, give us the whole breakdown, but Well, there was a breakdown. Um I'm sure. I mean, not not officially. I didn't go into the snake pit to refer back to that movie, but it was hard. It was hard. Again, it it was connecting it to myself and my own experience and knowing it was coming, but I didn't realize it was going to happen so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like I realized he was sick. Um, I mean, the rumors had been going around for a while. He had been struggling for a long while. Um, but seeing the video for Black Star that came out um, in November of 2015, I was like, "Something is wrong." It was it was really rough, and I kind of focused on mourning and what and how that manifests or manifested in me. So my reaction to it and how I recognized it. And it was very similar to when, when my father passed mm. uh, unexpectedly of a heart attack in uh, 2006. So there was a definite physical and psychological and emotional place that I recognized and went through. And... The thing about Bowie and his work, although he wasn't, as I said, prescriptive or obviously uh, singing about his life in certain ways, he was always singing about his life. So, um, because it was his life, it was his experience, even if he was exploring different ways of getting at it. So, he had given us material. And we went and we go into the new material and we go into things off of Black Star and things off of Lazarus and the, the show at New York Theatre Workshop. Yeah, so we go we go there. We go deep. You've had a pretty major personal change mm-hmm. in your life since you started performing the show. Yeah. Um, you went through cancer. You've had cancer. Yeah. This one especially feels like a really big question. So how uh-huh. did that change the show? And like, I'm like, it changed you. I'm like, I, I, as I'm asking the question, I'm like this, it, it feels silly to ask a little quick question right. <laughs> about something so big, but like where. Well, that's what, interesting that you say that because I feel like, and I think Bowie also really, um, his life and his work allows for, the space to redefine constantly and not be attached to one definition of self. So yeah, I was diagnosed in September, uh, at the beginning of September, 2016. And actually right before, um, two weeks before I was supposed to do the show at the afterglow festival in Provincetown, uh, it was just me and my guitarist, Jeremy Bass. And 
that was hard. <laughs> Did that you do hard. that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the first question I asked the doctor when I was diagnosed. My first question was, can I do my show? Oh, wow. So, you know, Jeremy knew, my director knew, Quinn Cox and Stella Starsky, who do who organized the festival, they knew. Um, but I didn't really tell, I didn't, I, I told a few people, but I went there not saying anything. Um, and I, and we had a moment, we had a meeting with my director and my musical director, Carl St. Lucy about, you know, do I add this in? Do I, and it was just too new. It was mm-hmm. too fresh. And, yeah. but it definitely colored everything. <laughs> it was, it was very much there. Again, he went through this. He didn't survive it as we all know. Mm-hmm. But he really did live through it and created through it. And you cannot listen to Black Star. You cannot listen to the new songs he wrote for Lazarus and listen to him sing, singing them and not acknowledge that they aren't about cancer. They are about cancer. Mm. Um, they are about facing your mortality and in a way that is so awake. And I actually hate when people use brave in terms of speaking about cancer, because you kind of just have to do what you have to do. Personally, I never felt brave. Um, Oftentimes the exact opposite, but you go through it because you kind of just put on, it's like horses with blinders. You kind of put on the blinders and put your head down and go. Would you say like brave implies that you had a choice? Possibly, yeah. But I also, yes, and I think I I don't believe it. It's I don't I don't know about the destiny part or you know people, and it's lovely what people say and the 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 sentiment behind it of like, oh, you survived because you have more work to do, or did I don't believe that. Or because you're strong, you survive. No, it's it's not that easy. It's not simplistic. Um, you know, I also lost my the drummer that I played with for years and years. Um, my dear friend Bill Gerstel died of pancreatic cancer in October 2016. And you know, if you're going to talk about Bill, or if you're going to talk about Bowie, there are a few people that I've encountered that loved life more. I love life. I love life very much indeed. It's a Bowie interview quote from 73. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, so it's not, it's not a choice. It's, it's this thing that manifests and happens. And, and sometimes you have the diagnosis that works for you and allows you to go through, and sometimes you don't. So we do deal with it in the show, and I want it to be... It's also hard when you mention the cancer words. Um, It's hard for it not to take over everything. Mm. And that's what happens in your life when you get diagnosed and when you go through treatment. It does. Your life stops and shifts, and all your attention has to go towards that 
or most of your attention has to go towards that. And um, so within the show and within my life, and I think I'm still wrangling with this in my life, is how do you make it just not disregard it, but this is another thing that has happened to me and it does not have to define me mm. fully. And every time I do the show, I, I rewrite for, you know, somewhat, I shape and rewrite a bit for every uh, incarnation of the show. And and this cancer thing is ongoing. I mean, I'm I'm cancer-free right now, but it's a daily thing. Sometimes dealing with the post-treatment is more difficult than dealing with treatment. Um, because in treatment, you're ve- it's regimented, right? And you're being, your blood is being taken and your vitals are being taken and you you have, you know, all these appointments and you're seeing these doctors and and it's hellish and it's exhausting and you, your body gets destroyed in many ways. But there is a free-floating anxiety that happens post-treatment or that has happened for me post-treatment, that is really hard to deal with. And there's still like exhaustion and joint pain and, you know, I'm on daily medication that's super strong and it's intense. It sucks and it's tedious and fucking boring. It's boring. Uh, is it so there you go yeah i guess i'm trying to understand that well no i think i get it i mean there's a part of it like or maybe i should be asking this is it that you know when you're in treatment and it's happening uh it's okay that you're feeling a, some kind of way about it right but then now you're in did you call it post-treatment yeah well uh, i still i'm on you know i get a monthly shot I get, um, I'm on hormone blockers because, uh, and I had, you know, quote unquote, an easy kind of cancer, which is bullshit, but it's also real, you know, um, it was very treatable. I remember a doctor saying to me like, uh, yeah, this is not what is going to kill you. So it was like, okay, good. Um, (laughs) You know, something will kill us. We're all going to go. Um, but this ain't going to be it. But this isn't going to be it. This is just going to make you miserable for a while. Or Yeah. It's still a daily thing um, in terms of, you know, these, I have, all my estrogen has to be blocked off. My cancer was all estrogen fueled uh, because my estrogen is delicious. Um, (laughs) I've been telling you that for years, honey. It's true. I had this one oncologist. He was actually wonderful. I didn't end up going with him because he was the only uh, person at that uh, hospital that I liked. But he reminded me of Jeff Goldblum. He was wonderful. And um, the first thing he said to me was, you're estrogen rich. And I just looked at him and went, "Uh, no shit. Like, <laughs> look at me. Like, I'm, you know, by sixth grade, I was like fully formed woman. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh so how to make it uh not everything, you know, and I'm gonna misquote, but um Simon Critchley, who wrote a beautiful, beautiful, small but gorgeous book about Bowie, um, which you can get at Orr Press. It's just called Bowie. And he's a a very renowned philosopher. Um, talks about how within our lifetimes, we have these just blips. You know, we have these different occurrences um, that define us. And it's also very kind of Buddhist in a way, right? How you're the same person, but you're not the same person as you were when you were a toddler or, um, and I, I would love for it just to be a blip in my life. But again, all of them kind of ripple out, you know, which also you could, uh, refer back to changes and that, that could (laughs) quote there. Um, yeah. Um, I don't want it fits into everything for me. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I deal with the cancer part of the show Uh in, uh, I kind of go through my experience and just this happened in treatment. This happened in treatment. These things happened and I do it with a kind of cut up technique that Bowie was very fond of and used different lyrics to illustrate what was going on and then sing, uh, killing a little time, which is amazing. It's such an amazing song. It's so ferocious and fully about having cancer. <laughs> Just fully. Is that, Black Star? Uh, no, it's Lazarus. Okay. Um, but again, his recordings of the songs that he wrote for Lazarus are beyond, beyond brilliant. All right. We should talk about when the show is. When, when? where? Give us all the details. Yes, sir. Um, it is at the lovely and legendary New York City venue in the East Village, Pangea, which is on 2nd Avenue between 11th and 12th. And the next ones are soon, soon. Uh, February 21st, Friday, February 21st, and Saturday, February 22nd. And then we have Friday, March 13th. And Saturday, March 14th. And those are both at 9.30. Those are, all four are at 9.30 p.m. Get your tickets. It's yeah. a small venue and, and we we do sell out. And I would love as many people there as possible because that would be lovely. It's nice to have people there when you do performances. Yeah, that's good stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, so I'll make sure that all of this information is in the show notes for this podcast. Fabulous. Um, where can we find you on online, Raquel? Uh, you can go to me and Mr. Jones show dot com. And uh, you can also Facebook me and Mr. Jones, my intimate relationship with David Bowie. We have a, a Facebook page. Uh, yeah. Perfect. And we have a, oh, we also have an Instagram, me and Mr. Jones show Instagram. All that stuff is like via the website. You can go me and Mr. Jones show.com. I love it. And again, all that stuff will be linked on the show notes for this episode. Oh, you're so good to me. Oh, you know how I do. (laughs) I Um, do know how you do. If you are a patron, you will be able to download an additional interview with Raquel, which will be um, coming up in a couple of days on Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Heron, where we will talk about more intimate details of more, more intimate details. (laughs) <laughs> more intimate intimate deeper and deeper and deeper <laughs> yeah thank you so much for joining me okay <laughs> i love you and this concludes my interview with the illustrious I'm trying to avoid saying amazing too much the illustrious uh, what does illustrious mean with raquel cyan uh, if you want to hear more from raquel listen on patreon patreon.com slash michael heron that special podcast will go up on Wednesday. Go check out her show. Check out my website. How does it feel right now? How are you feeling? Typically, I would have played a song right there, but now I just went right into the closing of the show. What do you think? Hope to see you at the book fair. Hope to see you on the podcast next week. Check me out on social media. Let me know that you're listening. I'd really love to hear from you. And that concludes the show. <laughs>